the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I mean, you cut on the news. Isn't it governed by fear? Isn't fear the enzyme, the active enzyme that is forming the next morphine of Western civilization? Something that who knows what it is? I mean, fear is the stuff that is shaping the future right before our eyes. That's Pastor Michael Oxentenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Today's broadcast is entitled The Tomb Raider, and you can find it online at reachingyourheart.com. That's reachingyourheart.com. Before we get started, we want you to know that we believe here at Reaching Your Heart that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, please call us at any time, day or night, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Here now is Pastor Michael Oxentenko. Dear Father God, we're grateful for the cross of Christ. We're grateful that the most important truth of the gospel is that Jesus died for our sins. And Father, we're grateful also for the magnificent truth that he was raised for our acceptance and justification. And so this Easter season, Lord, we want to look at the cross, we want to look at the resurrection, see the risen Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Abraham Lincoln is famous for his faith in God and his persistence in preserving the Union. Some people might say he created the Union. Before the Civil War, it was these United States, afterward the United States. His death came at a time when the nation needed a wise leader to unite the North and the South. I mean, the country had been ripped apart by decades of confusion. It took a, a leader to point it to a unified history. Lincoln's second inaugural address offered hope for the future of both sides so long at war. He wrote, with malice toward none, with charity for all, with firmness in the right as God gives us to see the right, let us strive on to finish the work we are in, to bind up the nation's wounds, to care for him who shall have borne the battle and for his widow and his orphan, to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations. I mean, You don't get better words than this in American history. This is some of the finest prose ever produced in the history of this nation. And then John Wilkes Booth spoiled it all as he gunned down Abraham Lincoln in Ford's Theater. After a span of national mourning, Mr. Lincoln's body was entombed in Springfield, Illinois, where it was intended that he would rest in peace forever, undisturbed. Now, most Americans are unaware that Mr. Lincoln's body was almost stolen by Tomb Raiders. Two books have been written that describe the tale in detail. The Great Abraham Lincoln Hijacked by Bonnie Stallman. And the second book is An Attempt to Steal the Body of Abraham Lincoln by John Carroll Power. The story goes something like this. John Hughes, known as Jack, was raised a farm boy. But in 1864, he moved from the farm to Chicago to become a counterfeiter. That was his career. For ten years, he joined his fate to a fellow counterfeiter named Ben Boyd. Jack and Ben spread their fake money from store to store until they were both finally caught. Jack was caught in 1874, but he jumped bail. Ben was caught and went to jail, and he stayed there. 
Now, with Ben tucked away in jail, Jack's money soon ran out. So Jack hooked up with another counterfeiter named Big Jim. It was no longer Jack and Ben. It was now Jack and Big Jim. Now, with their fake money all gone, you see, because Ben was really the talent and the mastermind behind printing all this money, they were unable to print more money, so they had to get creative on how to get rich without being able to counterfeit. So they devised a unique scheme to get rich quick. Oak Ridge Cemetery held the body of Abraham Lincoln. Ransoms usually are given for the living. I mean, you, if you want to kidnap somebody, you kidnap someone who's alive, you hold a ransom, and then it's paid, hopefully you let them go. But they surmised that Mr. Lincoln's body was worth more than a living hostage. And they set their sights to steal his body for money. Joining forces with another counterfeiter named Terrence Mullen, the dream team was complete at last. Jack, Big Jim, and Terrence would steal the body of Abraham Lincoln in the dead of night. The gang of three decided to do the deed on Election Day on November 7, 1876. I mean, they had a sense of history in the air. The plan was simple. They would steal an axe with which they would then break into the tomb of Abraham Lincoln. And after finding the body, they would then quickly steal it away and hide the body. The ransom price was thought out very carefully, $200,000. Back then, that was a whole heap of money. In fact, it's a whole heap of money right now. And they were convinced that the United States government would pay every penny to get Mr. Lincoln's body back. As they developed the plan, they made the mistake of asking the wrong person to join their team. The fourth person was a convicted horse thief who morphed into a government spy incognito. Louis Swaggles played along like he was part of the dream team, while in reality he was really an informant for the United States government, making his money by spoiling the scheme. At 9 p.m. on Election Day in 1876, they stole into the tomb with an axe freshly stolen. Then they hacked their way through the padlock, and after that they entered the burial chamber... Louis Swaggles played along as he held the lantern high as Jack and Terrence removed the marble cover from Mr. Lincoln's grave. And as they began to slide the coffin out, they pulled his body out. The plan was almost successful. They were ready to take it and run when it was interrupted by the sound of a shrill gunshot outside. Bang! Detectives were hiding in the woods watching the whole thing when a pistol cap accidentally went off ending the game. White as sheets, Jack and Terrence fled for their lives. They fled from town to town until they finally decided to return to Chicago. Police were waiting to arrest them. They were arrested. They spent a year in jail with hard labor, never to attempt the crime again. Mr. Lincoln's tomb was immediately assigned an armed guard, and the axe and the tools used to steal the body are now exhibits in the Tombs Museum in Springfield, Illinois. You didn't know that, did you? That's part of the unique history of the life and death of Abraham Lincoln. In 1879, a poem was written that was no doubt inspired by this story. The poem carries the title, Abraham Lincoln Walks at Midnight. The poem was a call to peace. The poet writes that Abraham Lincoln cannot rest unless there is peace on earth. That somehow the specter of Abraham Lincoln walks at midnight until justice is found around the earth, until wars cease, until villains who are tyrants are brought down low. As long as there is injustice, the poem goes, Abraham Lincoln walks at midnight. In 1910, 4,000 pounds of concrete were poured over Lincoln's tomb to prevent his body from ever being stolen again. At last, Mr. Lincoln's body is at rest in a tomb in Springfield, Illinois. Dear heart, when Jesus died, 
the Jewish leaders knew that he had been resurrected. The soldiers who watched the tomb were bribed and their lives were spared for a fraud. To prevent the truth from getting out, they devised the plan to circulate the story that tomb raiders had stolen in at night and taken the body of Jesus away. And so they hoped that the resurrection story would become nothing more than a story of a tomb raider who came to a tomb and stole the body away and that the myth of Jesus would be quickly dismissed and he would be thought of as simply a hiccup in history. Christ's body was not stolen by a tomb raider. Christ is alive and paradoxically, Jesus Christ is the tomb raider. He is alive to break the hold of the tomb on you. He is alive to break the hold of death on your life. He is alive so that the living God that lives in Him can live in you. He is not content for you to die. He is not content for evil to overcome you. He is the tomb raider in your life. When John was on the island of Patmos, he was an old man. Old man, he was looking at the tomb. He knew he didn't have long to live. And when he turned to hear the voice of the trumpet, he saw Jesus, the Son of Man, walking up to him on a lonely beach. John was an old man. And he was at that time of life when it's easy to be afraid of death. You know, death comes easy for the old, and it comes easy for the young, too, at times. No one knows when it comes. Many a Christian martyr has died bearing testimony to Jesus, and it looked like John's time was coming soon to do the same. So where do you turn when it looks like death will win? Where do you go when the road leads down to a hole and hope is easily buried and life quickly forgotten? What do you do when you have planned all your life to get ahead and the specter of death puts you far behind a future you cannot reach with your own hand? You know, don't tell me today that death is a friend. I mean, I hear preachers saying that somehow death's a friend. Death is not a friend. You know, this fantasy to think that. The Bible says that death is the enemy, the last enemy, and there is no hope for anyone unless someone has the power to open the grave and steal the body that must live again if hope will live again. Dear friend, Jesus is not a moral teacher alone. He's not some religious thinker who left his mark on history and did nothing more for you. The New Testament unabashedly proclaims that Jesus Christ is alive. I pause Jesus Christ is alive. He's a living Lord. His body came to life for real. The power of God broke out in Him on resurrection morning. The body that was dead lived again to never die again. The disciples touched Jesus. They ate with Jesus after He died. They saw Him ascend into the heavens alive breathing. Friend, we do not follow religious myths as Christians. Jesus is alive and He is not a myth as Christians, we worship the tomb raider who came to open the tombs so that no man or woman would ever die again. When John saw Jesus alive as the glorified Son of Man, he fell down at his feet like a dead man. I mean, have you ever come close to Christ and you fell down at his feet like a dead man? Have you ever came close and you felt like all your energy was lost in the sudden collapse of your energy? As you encountered Christ and you wanted to encounter Him with life, instead you were dead. And as John found Jesus, he was unable to marshal the strength to embrace Him. He fell at His feet. And Christ had just the right thing to say so He could get up and live again. Look at Revelation 1, verse 17 and 18. When I saw Him, I fell at His feet as though dead, but He laid His right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last." The living one, I died and behold, I'm alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and of Hades. I mean, friends, this verse contains the truth. 
It contains so much of truth that we don't have to fear today or fear tomorrow. The text says in verse 17, when I saw him. And you can plan a future on those words. It doesn't say I wished I could see him. It doesn't say I think I might have seen him or somehow I hope I can see him. It says I saw him. I saw him means that this was not just a vision. This was Jesus. I mean, it wasn't some prophetic trance he was in. It was reality that was coming after him. I saw him means that Jesus is alive. Christ is not a phantom that walks at midnight. John says, I saw him. But that's not all that happens in this verse. As soon as John saw him, Jesus touched John. You know, the book of Revelation is a revelation of Jesus Christ. John writes in Revelation 1-2 that he bore witness to all that he saw. There's no missing it here. John saw Jesus on the island of Patmos. The living Lord was there, and the living Lord touched John. The book of Revelation provides a visualization of who Jesus is, but it does not end with this vision of Jesus the vision of who Jesus is and what He looks like and what it means to see Jesus moves quickly to the tactile sense. John says, When I saw Him, I fell at His feet, though dead, but He laid His right hand on me. Now, how does the song go? He touched me. And oh, the joy that thrilled my soul. He touched me. I mean, dear heart, it's one thing to see the living Lord. It's another thing for His hand to reach out and touch you where you live. He saw Jesus, and Jesus touched John alone on an island, alone without a mapped-out future, unable to direct his own course of life. The hand of God and Jesus touched him. God has given us the book of Revelation so that we may see Jesus as the Son of Man. And the Jesus you see in the vision of the apocalypse, dear heart, is not just a vision, it is reality. The Christ that appeared to John can touch you where you live. The book of Revelation is about a personal religion that brings the resurrected Christ into your life so Jesus can touch you every day of your life. Dear heart, it's not enough to see Jesus. The Son of Man must reach out and touch you for you to live again. The resurrected Christ can touch you and He can lift you up and He can make you live again. If you can't make yourself live, He can make you live. His touch can pull you from the ground and lift you to the air. The resurrected Christ can touch you and lift you and make you alive. John wasn't dead, but he felt dead. And maybe that's how you feel today. You know, maybe you've been going through these times we're living in, this funny era of Western civilization. As you're trying to map out your family's future, you're trying to figure out your own, and maybe you feel dead. Maybe your energy is gone. Maybe you have lost it in your pursuit of God. That's where John was at. He felt dead, and so he fell at his feet like a dead man. There are times in life when we go to church, we go through the rounds of religion, we apply ourselves to Christian activity, and burnout sets in. And dear heart, according to this verse, if you're that way and you fall at Jesus' feet like a dead man, Christ can raise you up. When Jesus touches you, he touches you with his right hand. The text says in verse 18, But he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Fear not. Fear is the modern emotion that rules the political and personal life all around us. Is it not? I mean, you cut on the news. Isn't it governed by fear? Isn't fear the enzyme, the active enzyme that is forming the next morphine of Western civilization? Something that who knows what it is? I mean, fear is the stuff that is shaping the future right before our eyes. The war on terror is a war on fear, and fear seems to be winning in this world of fear. In Luke 21, Christ said that the age of terror... 
the age of fear would be the attitude and the environment just before the second coming of Jesus. Luke 21, 25, and 26, there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and upon the earth distress of nations in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves. Men fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. In the book of Revelation, the powers of the heavens are demonic powers. Even the devils will tremble. Fear will motivate the unseen spiritual forces that will stir up the sea of nations for global conflict. People are afraid. Demons are afraid because the devil himself cannot manage world history. They're afraid of not having health insurance today. People are afraid of unseen evils that can blow up a city and sink a family's dreams for the future. Fear, as I said, is that evil enzyme that is producing the next morphine of Western civilization who knows what. And when men and women everywhere are overcome with fear, where do you turn when the powers of the heavens tremble too? More with Pastor Michael Oxentenko in just a moment. Studying the Bible is vital to our lives, and we would like to help you in that process by providing you free Bible study guides. These full-color Bible study guides are available for you right now if you dial this telephone number, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. We would love for you to call and get your copy of these free Bible study guides at any time. That's 888-244-4673. Now more with Pastor Michael Oxentenko. Jesus' words are timeless in this age of fear. Fear not, I am the first and the last. You ever want to know how your story will end? You ever want to know the final chapter of your life? The outcome of your history? If you have Christ, you don't have to figure it out. Do you hear me? If you have Christ, you don't have to figure out the final chapter of your life because Christ is the final chapter of your life. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the one that makes you have a future. If the past is pressing hard and down on you because conscience has been pricked, because you've let the Lord down, because you've let yourself down, if that's the case with you, dear friend, Jesus has overcome your past at the cross of Calvary. He caught up to you. He traversed the history of your past and came to the cross to find you in your today. And the prayer from Calvary's cross is clear for those who need the truth. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. You, know, you don't know the half of what's inside your head. You don't know the, the hidden parts of psychology that motivates you. Jesus does. And the words we hear from the cross of Calvary are the final words of God's verdict on you. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. You know, if you're dealing with the past, the cross is the place where it falls off your shoulder. But if you're afraid of the future, you need to know right now that Jesus is in the future because he's been resurrected from the dead. He stands at the end of your road with a key that opens the door to a life beyond what you can plan and think. And if Christ is the first and the last, that means Jesus is between the Alpha and the Omega. He is between the first and the last. He is right here today for you. Now, how do we know that? It's obvious in the context. John says, I saw him and he touched me. I mean, don't run over these words. Don't read them too quickly. I saw him and he touched me. Jesus is alive today, friend, and he can touch you. It takes a living Lord to touch you, and Jesus can because he lives. A real hand touches you. I don't care what you're going through today. 
Jesus can reach out to you and touch you. It doesn't matter how bad you've been beaten down in life. Jesus can raise you up in this life and He can raise you for the next life too. It doesn't matter who has touched you and how they have touched you. It doesn't matter. Jesus can still touch you. And when He touches you, He places His right hand upon you. He's not afraid to touch you. Do you hear me? He's not afraid to touch you. and His, his touch removes fear. In the book of Revelation, we encounter the resurrected Lord who is in the business of lifting the life that has been knocked down. Maybe that's you. If it is, the vision of Jesus is for you. He's the tomb raider in your life. He is the escape from a life that isn't worth living, that's really dead. When you fall at His feet as though you're dead, He's the one who raises you up. The Lord you see is the one who touches you. On the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus appeared in white with Elijah and Moses, the vision passed and the disciples were terrified. Look at Matthew 17, verse 7. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Notice that touch precedes sight in this instance. When Christ touches you, the things you fear disappear. And the only one you see in the night is the Son of Man. There are so many things in life that draw us away from Jesus Christ. Can you say yes to that or no? Yeah, there are. I mean, if, you know, I hear people act like they have no trouble in life. And I wonder about those folks. I really do. I say, oh, I don't live a life like that. You know, they, they sit and they act like, you know, they have this even keel spiritual existence and nothing's happened to them. Well, I don't believe a word of it. There is a life that is in need of Jesus Christ, and I think it's every man every woman's life. Two blind men were pursuing Jesus because they couldn't see Jesus. They were following the voice of Jesus, hoping to touch Jesus. You know how the blind see? They see by touch. They don't see with their eyes. They see by touch. Have mercy on us, son of David, they cried out. And then they said, Lord, let our eyes be opened. Now, how do you open the eyes of a blind person when the only sight they have is touch? Matthew 20, 34, And Jesus in pity touched their eyes. And immediately they received their sight and followed Him. The blind see by moving their hands across the braille, by touching the facial features. And Christ doesn't just make them see. He touches their eyes. The first sensation of sight is the feeling of touch for them on their eyes. Then they see. When Christ touches you, He opens your eyes so you can really see Him. His touch precedes real sight. So John saw Jesus, sure enough. But when Jesus touched him, he saw everything else in the book of Revelation about Jesus. The whole book comes after he's touched by Jesus. Without the touch of Jesus, the prophet's eyes remain blind and they cannot see into the future. I was at the bank yesterday talking to a friend who's named Michael, just like me. He's a really nice guy. Uh, he's down at Sandy Spring Bank. Just a wonderful Christian gentleman. He told me plainly that he wanted to be a theologian at some time in the past. And when he was in school, he went to his professor to talk to him about the book of Revelation. And he said to him, when you get a Ph.D. in the book of Revelation, you come to me and then we'll talk. It's pretty cold, isn't it? I've met people like that. <laughs> you have too. Well, you don't have to have a Ph.D. to talk to Jesus. He's not ashamed to touch you and to open your eyes no matter where you've come from in life or where you're going. Uh, I'm not trying to discourage anyone from advanced learning here. Don't misunderstand me. But if your attitude is one of humility, God can use you in that Ph.D. 
But it doesn't matter if you have no humility. No degree of higher learning can take the place of the simple touch of Jesus in your life. I mean, no amount of tradition you've stacked into your family system. It doesn't matter who served in the church in this capacity or that. It won't help you if Christ doesn't touch you. I mean, it doesn't bring merit in your life because you have a long line of Christian workers in your family. What matters is what you do with Jesus. John gave us the book of Revelation because Jesus can touch you. That's what qualified John to really see. When Peter cut off the ear of the high priest's servant in Luke twenty-two fifty-one, Jesus said, no more of this. And he reached out his hand and he touched the man and he healed his ear immediately. You see, Jesus' touch heals the man's ear immediately. It is a spiritual principle that you can't see spiritual things and you can't hear the things of God either unless Jesus reaches out to touch you and heal you. And when he does, you really see and you really hear the deep things of God for the first time in your life and if you cherish the touch for the rest of your life. Jesus touched John with his right hand. Now, why not his left? Really, why not his left? Why his right hand? In the Bible, the right hand is the hand of favor and of authority. You know, when Christ touches you with the right hand, it's the hand of grace and favor, and it's the hand that can fix the stuff in your life. It's the hand of authority. Let me prove it to you. Exodus 15, 6. The song of Moses and the Lamb as they have seen the Egyptians defeated in the Red Sea. They sing this song that bursts from liberated spirits. Thy right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. I mean, if you have enemies in your life, the right hand of Jesus can touch you and take them out of your life. That will conclude the first portion of the Tomb Raider. That's the Tomb Raider. And don't forget that you can find it online at reachingyourheart.com. That's reachingyourheart.com. Be prepared. It's a great motto to keep in mind given the difficult times that we all face here in the future. We'd love for you to have a book entitled Ultimate Survival. This book will give you practical steps on how you can survive spiritually. You'll discover keys to physical, mental, and spiritual survival you may not know existed. Call right now. 888-244-4673. And join us again next time for another edition of Reaching Your Heart. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.